and welcome everybody to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Hope all is well. Hey, remember the uh, Netflix documentary, Get Me Roger Stone? Well, that's what I said to my assistant. I said to my assistant, get me Roger Stone for today's podcast. And of course, there was silence because I don't have an assistant, so I was pretty much talking to myself. But once that whole issue was resolved from a Dr. Phil perspective, I got on the phone and got Roger Stone. So Roger Stone on the podcast today. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about. Obviously, uh, his sentence commuted by the president. He's going to talk about Jesus. That's right, Jesus. I said it. He's going to talk about how the folks prosecuting him uh, were satanic. Um, he talks about how vengeance is not his, saith Roger Stone. No, vengeance is the Lord's and that the Lord will have his say with his prosecutors uh, in the future. He talks about regrets. He talks about working for Trump again uh, and lots of different things to talk to Roger Stone about all coming up on the podcast today. Uh, before we get to that, a quick mention of a great podcast, Scott Rasmussen here on the Just the News Network called Number of the Day. He dissects some sort of poll number and polls are big right now, obviously, with the presidential race and everything else going on. So he's going to take a look at those uh, numbers, dissect it, get into it. It is really, it's not just a geek out experience, which I personally would love from a geek out standpoint, uh, but it really gives you insight into how polls work uh, and to what you need to be looking for, especially when it comes to, as Scott would say, the number of the day. So check out that podcast on the Just the News Network. You can go to justthenews.com or anywhere you get your uh, podcast, uh, whether that be uh, iTunes, Stitcher, uh, from your mom in your basement with Joe Biden, any place you get them, uh, take a look for that podcast. Plus Cheryl Atkinson's podcast uh, called Cheryl Atkinson uh, Reports. Uh, actually, it doesn't say, what am I talking about? It's just Cheryl Atkinson's podcast. Now, John Solomon Reports is the other podcast we've got up there. And of course, my podcast, The Pod's Honest Truth. Feel free to subscribe and like that as well. All right, when we come back, Roger Stone, uncensored, unfiltered, and wait till you hear what he's got to say. He's got a lot to talk about next on The Pod's Honest Truth. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And welcome back, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Time now for our interview with Roger Stone. It was about a 30-minute interview or so. We're going to divide this up into two segments. The first segment, he gets into talking about how he gave his life to Jesus Christ back in January of 2000 at a Franklin Graham rally. So he does the backstory there to explain about how, in essence, God saved him from prison time. Of course, Donald Trump actually commuted his sentence, but let's be honest, God was the one who saved him, and Jesus, uh, Jesus. <laughs> and Roger Stone uh, actually um, 
uh, he obviously believes that, and uh, well, he should, and so he'll talk about that. By the way, the uh, French painter Claude Monet uh, is fond of saying, or used to say, everything changes, even Stone, and I think you're going to get a, a, a true sense of that today because Roger Stone uh, is a changed man. Now, is he a Boy Scout? No. Does he have a DNA to be a fighter? Yes. Is he going to be boring now? No. He'll talk about that. So he, he's a hard scrabble guy. That's not changing. But the way he's going to settle scores uh, in the future because of what he believes are all the injustices done to him. Well, that's a bit different, and that's something we get into. You're not going to hear this anywhere else. Once again, you'll hear a lot of interviews with Roger Stone about the prosecutorial abuses and all. That's fine. We're going to get into some of that. But the truth of the matter is, you're not going to hear the full heart of Roger Stone. That's right. I said heart and Roger Stone in the same sentence. Uh, you won't see that and hear that anywhere else, but he will reveal a lot of that in the podcast today. Here is Roger Stone. Roger Stone, uh, great to see you again. Congratulations on the big news. Thank you. It was, uh, it was a, an extraordinary ordeal to have the full weight of the federal government uh, with their very deep pockets, uh, particularly in this case where the prosecutors, in my view, were not honest. I think they were politically motivated. Um, and I had, from my point of view, a biased judge and a stacked jury. As you know, substantial juror misconduct. But beyond that, despite the legal precedent in every circuit in the United States, including D.C., Despite the official policy of the Department of Justice and the Bureau of Prisons that mandates that um, those convicted of nonviolent crimes be moved from incarceration to home confinement, uh, despite my age at 67 and my health, where I've had a history of respiratory problems, including asthma, and was died of it as, a, as an infant, um, you know, the judge insisted uh, in sending me to a prison where she said there were no known cases of COVID-19, but where their official website now shows uh, that there are 60. Uh, and next week, it'll be more, I suspect. So I viewed this as a death sentence. I really viewed it as the end of the road. Um, uh, I could have been sent to home confinement like Michael Avenatti or Michael Cohen until he violated probation, which was idiotic, uh, or Rick Gates. Uh, but the judge seemed intent to send me. And then the D.C. Circuit Court upheld her decision, which we scratch our heads about, about 20 minutes uh, before President Trump uh, announced that he had commuted my entire sentence. So I just didn't avoid, uh, you know, the penalty here. I avoided uh, what I think was almost certain death in a squalid prison in rural Georgia. Uh, but I must tell you, David, that I was never worried. I was never scared. I was I was concerned about my family, obviously, uh, but I was never scared. I was never worried. I was completely confident that uh, the Lord would guide the president to do the right thing. As I told you, the last time we got together that, you know, back in January, uh, when I really hit rock bottom, I mean, my life was in turmoil. I was angry that I wasn't going to get a fair trial uh, and that I was gagged, that I was not able to defend myself in public while CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times and the Washington Post just rained disinformation on me, uh, that I was frustrated because um, I didn't think I was going to get a fair process. I was uh, angry about being politically targeted. I was worried about my family. Uh, I couldn't sleep. Uh, I started, uh, you know, hitting a little too much of the bottle and eating too much. It was a really stressful time. Uh, and I had occasion because of a very young, a 26-year-old, very dynamic young evangelist from North Florida, uh, Randy Coggins, um, who had a relationship through friends with uh, Reverend Franklin Graham. <clears throat> and Franklin Graham was in the area of the state where I live. He was in Boca Raton for a revival. 
Uh, and I had seen Billy Graham preach when I was 12 years old at a tent revival in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's one of my earliest memories. I, I still remember it like it was yesterday because it was a, it was a, it was really spectacular. I mean, it was he was very dynamic. He was very magnetic. He was very charismatic. He was very tan. Every hair was in place when he started. And by the time he finished, he was a sweating, nervous wreck, and he had brought down the house. He had he had this crowd of Christians right in the palm of his hand, and he told it like it was. Um, and I saw, you know, as a 12-year-old, I saw people stand up and witness. It was an amazing thing. So I went and I met with Franklin Graham, and he was very cordial, and he I kind of poured my heart out to him. And he said, well, why are you coming to see me? And I said, well, you're a friend of the president. I thought you might put in a good word for me. He said, well, I'll see, I'll see what I can do about that, but I think there's a larger solution here, and that is that you need to be reborn. Amen. You should reaffirm your, your commitment to Jesus Christ. You should ask him to come into your life. You should confess your sins. You should pledge your, to do your very best to sin no more. He said, I can tell you right now, you're going to fail now and then because we're human and, we, and nobody's perfect but him. But you, what he wants is good faith effort. Um, and if you pledge to do that, I'm telling you, your problems will be solved. He will not abandon you. Uh, he will protect you. He will always be with you, no matter what trouble you face. And I thought about that. And um, I then went to the revival where there were 2,000 people. It was just jam-packed. It was an outdoor amphitheater if you brought your own blanket or your own lawn chair. And um, it was, I would say the crowd was about 50% white, about a quarter African-American, and about a quarter Hispanic. Uh, socioeconomically, you know, middle, middle to lower. Could have been a Trump rally, a lot of Trump hats, a lot of Trump T-shirts. And of course, thanks to CNN, I'm now universally recognized everywhere for good and for bad. Uh, many, many Christians coming up telling me they're praying for me. They love me, uh, asking for autographs, asking, asking for selfies, which, you know, I never, ever, based on the advice President Nixon once gave me, I never, ever refuse. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, we came to the, the point in the program where Reverend Graham reached the crescendo and he said, I don't care what your problem is, whether it's uh, drug abuse or alcoholism or family problems or relationship problems or financial problems or health problems, the Lord will protect you. The Lord will take you in his hand and he will lead you. He will guide you. He'll never abandon you. But you have to confess your sins. If you're prepared to confess your sins and to pledge to sin no more and to walk in his way, it will open doors for you. And um, at that moment, I felt the calling. I stood up with 500 other people. I wasn't the slightest bit embarrassed. I confessed that I was a sinner. Uh, I, I repeated a pledge that he recited, and it was as if a cement block was lifted off my chest. I can't even explain it. Sure. I had this feeling of, of exhilaration, like it was a whole new start. And um, I left the, uh, I had to fight my way out of the crowd because, again, I had a lot of selfie requests and I wanted to pose with a lot of Christians. So many people told me they were praying for me and my family. It was heartening. Uh, and then all the way home, you know, uh, Randy Coggins, who's driving me, didn't say a word. I just sat there and I thought about the whole experience. And I knew from that moment that it would all be fine. I knew from that moment that, you know, that there, this would reach a crescendo and that the president, who was really my only option at the end after the courts completely failed me and what I think were political decisions, this was the only option. He didn't just stand up for justice in this case, David. He saved my life. I have no doubt about that. And um, I don't know why I have been in, put into this horrific situation, because I'm not a Russian spy. There is nothing else to tell. It's funny to see Andrew Weissman, the chief uh, number two man, who's really the number one man in the Weissman investigation, insisting that I'm hiding something. I have nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. there, there, was no, there was nothing to hide. Uh, they wanted me to lie, to bear false witness against the president in return for some kind of leniency. Uh, they put out feelers, you know, Stone should come clean, Stone should confess. 
Uh, so we should get right. And no, no, I was not going to do that. Where people now come and say, oh, he covered up for the president in return for uh, commutation. That's completely untrue. There was nothing to cover up. I know of no illegal or inappropriate actions by the president whatsoever. Uh, and they went through every email, every text message, every phone call. There is no evidence to the contrary. Uh, so they're trying to revive the whole Russian collusion thing on my back, and it's just not going to sell. Uh, and uh, I obviously have some difficult decisions to make because um, I'd like to pursue my appeal. On the other hand, any trial in the District of Columbia, particularly a trial in front of the judge I had, who I would have again, um, is fraught with real peril. I don't know that I can get a fair trial. I didn't get one the first time. I don't know why I would get one the second time. Yeah. Uh, so I might just have to take the win, you know, with the grace of God, uh, walk away and go back to trying to re pick up the pieces of my life. I've lost everything. Yeah. I've lost my home, my one of my two cars. We kept the oldest one and sold the newest one. Uh, most of my insurance, uh, my ability to make a living. Um, my wife has medical expenses that go beyond the small insurance coverage we still have. Uh, so, you know, it's a struggle. But I don't regret anything that I did in 2016 because I didn't break the law. And the great thing about this whole experience is that I'm, you know, I'm back to being in the ranks of those who believe in Jesus Christ. I'm a Catholic. I'm back to the Catholic Church. Um, I don't agree with everything, by the way, in the Catholic dogma, but the, what's the, it's all about the basics. Do you believe in the, in the resurrection? Do you believe in the birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the Son of God? And I do, and I always have. But I had wandered, and now I'm back. One of the most frustrating things is when I filed my emergency motion, uh, my church, St. Anthony's here in Fort Lauderdale, had just reopened from the COVID virus. I got to go to mass once, and then I was under house arrest. I had to miss mass two weeks in a row, which was annoying. Also, sometimes during the week, um, I would drive to the church where the doors were open. It was a great place to just sit and contemplate and pray and read the Psalms or the Proverbs. And uh, Reverend Graham had sent me a Bible in which he had annotated certain sections. Uh, and on those days when I got angry and frustrated, um, I would read it calm me down. Um, you know, Martini helped as well once in a while. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it has been a positive experience in that sense. The other sense in which it's been a positive experience is that you find out who your real friends are and are not. Yeah. Uh, you know, politics uh, is a very phony business. There are a lot of people who are your friends when they want something or think you can, you can do something for them, but they're not really your friends. And uh, in this instance, you know, I found out who my real friends were. People like Tucker Carlson, who's a great, great guy, very loyal, was indignant about this entire matter, just has a great sense of justice and injustice, who um, who pounded away on his show about how unfair this was and how outrageous it was. Yeah. Sean Hannity, uh, another great advocate on, on my behalf. Um, uh, uh, Charlie Kirk uh, was a very, ad a very effective advocate on my behalf. Uh, uh, so many people like that. I mean, the list of uh, Bernie Carrick, the former New York police, police commissioner, uh, Chris Ruddy with Newsmax, uh, an old friend of mine, conservative publisher, um, uh, Congressman Matt Gates, uh, uh, General Michael Flynn, who has his own problems, but still had time to follow my case and offer support for me. Uh, so many patriots, uh, uh, Reverend uh, uh, Daryl Scott, Reverend Mark Burns, uh, uh, Howard, pa Pastor uh, Howard Brown, I mean, uh, Rodney Howard Brown, pardon me. Uh, so many ministers across the country uh, who were supportive, uh, Rod Parsley in Ohio and so on. Uh, you know, I really, I, they feel like family to me now. They were there when I needed them. They didn't cut and run and head for the high grass when things got tough. And I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the people contacting me saying, we're doing a prayer chain for you tonight. Yeah. Or we've asked, we've asked uh, if, they, if we can do a special prayer for you this Sunday. 
all across the country. It, it was an uplifting experience for my wife and I, and I will never forget it. Roger, let me ask you about, uh, look, uh, the, the T-shirt says it all, or the shirt says it all, right? Did nothing wrong. You feel vindicated, obviously. You knew that all along. M my question is a little bit more Dr. Phil-ish, which is, where, where do you go from here as it relates to, you know, the, the, the documentary, right? Get, uh, get me Roger Stone, this, this bravado that you've had for, it's not just bravado. I mean, you know, you've lived the life, right, Roger? And so, so where do, do you have, I guess where I'm going with this is from a re regret standpoint, maybe not necessarily in this case, uh, but, you know, looking now forward as to what you want to do with your life to maybe uh, not make amends, it's all covered under the blood, but to be, uh, maybe, maybe do things differently. Do you, do you see any of that at all, Roger? Well, I think the only thing worse in my business of politics than being wrong is being boring. Uh, and I can guarantee you I don't intend to become boring. Mm -hmm. I, I think that, um, you know, I have a personal style that is mine. If you don't like it, you can look elsewhere. But uh, let me be clear. I have a tremendous zeal to win for my clients and the candidates and causes that I believe in. But that zeal does not take you over the line of breaking the law and never has. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I believe in doing things uh, in a in a dramatic way, because in this fast moving world, it's very hard to get the voters attention and hold it. So I think you have to be provocative. You have to be interesting. You have to you have to lay out ideas uh, in a big way. Um, but I do regret the fact that it took this long for me to return uh, to the church because uh, I realized that, um, you know, I could have had the 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 solitude and the solace and the, the strength and the fortitude to fight this much earlier. I went through a year of hell before mm -hmm. I found the way. Uh, and now I feel, you know, I feel much better. I do feel vindicated. If you go on television today, you see my critics are still shooting at me. Adam Schiff and uh, uh, Rod Rosenstein, the swamp creature that created this whole illegal investigation and Robert Mueller himself. And they're repeating the same lies. No, I'm not a Russian intelligence agent. No, I was never in touch with a Russian intelligence agent. Any communications you found with some guy on the Internet were completely benign. They took place after all the WikiLeaks documents were, were already published and so on. Here's the big difference, David. Yeah. In the, in the old days, I would have wanted revenge. I would have wanted to take revenge against every one of them. But now I realize that vengeance is God's. It's not mine. In other words, they will get their just due. They will get it from a vengeful God. God, vengeance, according to Hebrews, I think it's 3031, belongs to God. He knows who the bad guys are. I don't have to worry about it anymore because it's in his hands. There is nothing worse than being, you know, in the eyesight of a, of a vengeful and living God. So I no longer am obsessed with, you know, the Sicilian concept of, uh, of revenge, which generally speaking is a dish that tastes best when eaten cold. <laughs> I really do believe that those who are trying to undo this president, those who are trying to destroy me, trying to destroy Michael Flynn, who's a very good man and a great American patriot, war hero, I do believe they're satanic. I do believe they don't believe. I think they believe in the new world order. I don't know if they worship Moloch or they worship no one or they worship Satan, but they don't share our values. That's clear to me. And they cut corners. Uh, and what's outrageous is their arrogance, uh, their, their moral superiority, when in fact they have no morals at all. Just to be clear, you said they tag. Who are you referring to specifically? I'm sorry. Uh, I don't. I don't believe the Clintons uh, are are really Christians. I don't believe that uh, that any of these people involved in my prosecution are are, are really uh, believers in God, whether they be Christians or whether they be Jews. I think that they are truly evil, mm -hmm. uh, and um, you know, and they make fun of our religion. They look down on it. They look down on our these elites. They look down on our belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, they look down on our values. Uh, you know, to to them, we're a bunch of I don't know, we're like toothless hillbillies. They try to treat us like we're, we're sometimes their inferiors. But um, this is an epic struggle between good and evil. This is an epic struggle between the dark and the light. 
I really believe that. And yeah. I know Donald Trump. I've known him for 40 years. He didn't have to do this. This is costing him money. He's subject to ridicule and abuse every single day. Uh, I really believe that God put him in this place for this time for a purpose. Beyond that, uh, I think God put me in this position at this time for a purpose. I'm very familiar with the Kim Clement prophecies in which that uh, that preacher said, you know, uh, he predicted accurately the election of Donald Trump. He predicted accurately the failed impeachment effort. And at the end, he says, a stone will save the president. A stone. He says, remember that name. He doesn't say, remember that thing. Yeah. So if God has a mission for me, he hasn't revealed it to me yet. But if he does, I'm ready for duty. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. And welcome back to The Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Let's now continue the conversation with Roger Stone. I get into certain aspects of his future here in terms of what he's going to be like as we move forward, uh, whether or not he's talked to Paul Manafort, uh, what about his fight with social media companies that have kicked him off. You know, he's not on Instagram, Facebook, and and Twitter and all of that. Uh, and so we get into all of that. And, oh, by the way, will he go ahead and work for Donald Trump, whether it be as president or somewhere down the line in the future? Of course, they have a long storied history together close to 40 years or so. So we get into all of that in part two with Roger Stone. As for the future, you, you would take a job with a with a Donald Trump in the future. I'm assuming, I mean, whether it be president or if in the pub in the private sector, would you would you work for Donald again? Look, nobody would turn down the president of the United States, but I don't expect that to happen. I really <laughs> believe I can be an effective advocate on the outside as I was last time. I mean, I wrote The Clinton's War on Women. It's still a great book. It exposes the epic corruption of Bill and Hillary Clinton and their and uh, uh, and Hillary and Webb Hubble's daughter, Chelsea. Uh, it exposes the Clinton Foundation and all of that epic financial corruption. It goes all the way back to the gubernatorial days. Uh, the corruption is rife. That hair, that book will, will curl your hair. Uh, I ran an operation at the convention to make sure that the delegates were not, the nomination was not stolen from Donald Trump, which has happened in our history. This is not a far-fetched thing. In 1952, Robert Taft went to Chicago with more than enough votes to be nominated on the first ballot, and a clever campaign by the Eastern Republicans uh, snatched that nomination away from him for Dwight Eisenhower, who went on to be one of the greatest presidents in my lifetime. So, uh, you know, that was a completely independent operation. Roger, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was say, what about, have you been in touch at all with Paul Manafort? I mean, what's the deal there? How's that? Uh, I have not because until um, very recently, Paul Manafort and I have been prohibited from communications by a uh, court order. In essence, the prosecutors give you at the time that you're charged a no contact list of people that you can have no contact whatsoever with, no phone, no email, no text. And he is on that list. Uh, as are a number of people I never heard of, uh, and then a number of other people who I think were witnesses against me. 
a number of people who I may have gone to the grand jury, uh, a number of people I know went to the grand jury. Uh, it's very rare that after a conviction that these lists are kept in place, but for whatever reason, Judge Jackson kept it in place. It was not until yesterday um, that that was lifted. So I have not been in touch with Paul. Um, my wife has talked uh, to Paul's wife, mm -hmm. but not not often. Uh, and therefore, I have no report on how he's doing, but I'm sure he's glad to be out of prison and yeah. at least with his family. Let me ask you, uh, Roger, about all of the social media uh, platforms that you've been barred uh, from. Uh, is, is there any thought of a, a legal challenge here at all? I mean, the judge has pretty much kind of sla slammed down you on none of these uh, platforms. Do you have any recourse there legally? Well, we, we're examining it very carefully. I mean, as you know, I was banned on Twitter years ago. I had 550,000 followers when they banned me. They never gave me an explanation of why I was banned, but I had posted something that I think hurt Jake Tapper's feelings. So uh, I got banned. I thought I would miss it. But now, in all honesty, because they have they have um, essentially, you know, deplatformed conservatives, Christians, Republicans, independents, libertarians, Trump supporters, anybody who's not a liberal, um, it's not even interesting anymore. There's no repartee. It's not fun. It's just one big cesspool of hate. I mean, if I showed you the threatening emails and text messages and tweet messages members of my family have gotten, you, you just wouldn't believe it. You just wouldn't. And uh, so I, don't, I thought I would miss Twitter, but I don't. Now they have banned me on Facebook and Instagram based on this completely false claim that I had a hundred fake uh, uh, Facebook profiles, which I didn't. Uh, this is this allegation grows out of the Mueller investigation. Somebody they interviewed made this claim. There's no evidence to support it. And then some left-wing research group out of New York produces a report which has about as much validity as the Steele dossier in which I am you know, the mastermind of a giant network of fake uh, uh, social media platforms in which I'm posting disinformation. Uh, I've never owned a Facebook profile in the name of another person or in the name of an organization that didn't legitimately uh, you know, exist. I have used them to promote my books. Right. So we're examining the question. I'm not sure you know, I have lost income because I can't sell books on Facebook anymore. It's one of the ways I made my previous books bestsellers. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, they have very deep pockets and fighting them is very difficult legally. First Amendment cases against them have generally not fared well in court. Uh, there may be some business oriented actions that I can take against them, you know, either tortious interference or restraint of trade. I don't know. I, I have business lawyers looking at it. Uh, I've had defamation lawyers looking at it. Uh, I haven't made a decision. I'll tell you this. I have signed up at Parler, P-A-R-L-E-R, which is a new platform which doesn't censor anybody, Republicans, conservatives, liberals, progressives. And I find that it's great because you can say what you really think uh, and uh, you can be a little more out there without crossing the line and being totally vulgar. Um, but it is a it's a great place. I recommend it to people who want to you know, have the repartee and the debate that should be on social media and not being afraid of being politically incorrect. If you criticize radical Islam on uh, Facebook or on Twitter, you know, you're going to get blocked. That's a sad reality. 
let, let me ask you uh, real quick. I know you can go in for, for a long time and talk about prosecutorial abuses. They, they run the gamut. I've read, I've read the articles or the, uh, the, the op-eds, if you will. But is there something that you maybe even ha- haven't disclosed or you can at least g- give us a sense of something that's out there from a prosecutorial abuse standpoint that people might not be aware of that you think are, is important to get? You've mentioned the prosecutors and you've talked about some of what's gone on. But is there something that people should be aware of in terms of what happened to you that maybe they're not quite they don't quite understand? Well, first of all, I think we have to recognize that many of the facts regarding my case are still under a protective seal, and therefore I am not able to talk about them. But some of them are not. Uh, just the the uh, fact that the prosecutors in the case made a motion uh, before the court that I could not raise the misconduct of the, the Office of Special Counsel or the Department of Justice uh, or the FBI or any member of Congress in my defense. Now, firstly, that, that's unconstitutional uh, under a decision called Kyles v. Whitley. But if you think about it for a moment, why would the prosecution even make such a motion if there was no misconduct for me to raise? If that ruling had been in place in General Flynn's case, we'd know nothing about what they did to him. Right. So I think, that is a, I think that's misconduct right there. Uh, there are other instances. Aaron Zelinsky, uh, who testified before the House Judiciary Committee three weeks ago, who interestingly enough wouldn't show up in person because he's concerned about COVID virus, but has no problem with sending me to a prison where there is COVID virus. And this guy's testimony was an amusing combination of perjury, hearsay, and and, and obfuscation. I mean, he has no direct. Pre- he had no direct testimony that showed there was pressure on. Attorney General Barr or the acting U.S. Attorney Timothy Shea to give me special treatment. And if you will examine my entire case, the only special treatment I got was to my was to my detriment. When 29 FBI agents storm your home at six o'clock in the morning to arrest you for a white collar, nonviolent process crime, that is truly special treatment. When when uh, Comey, Clapper, Brennan, all of these people lie to Congress with impunity but they prosecute you, that's definitely special treatment. When when they send uh, Michael Avenatti and even Paul Manafort uh, uh, and uh, Rick Gates and Michael Cohen to home confinement to protect them from COVID virus, but they insist you go to jail, once again, special treatment. So uh, this whole nonsense that in the sentencing process, when these prosecutors souped up a recommendation of nine years, by essentially accusing me of crimes of which I had not been convicted. I'm sorry, but I didn't threaten a federal judge. I dispute that. I did not post a picture of a judge with a crosshairs over her face. I dispute that. Uh, I did not publish a book in violation of the gag order. My book came out before the gag order was in place. I dispute that. But in each one of those instances, they wanted to give me additional time in prison for crimes I hadn't been committed. And fortunately, people above them who are more responsible uh, and recognize that the actual guidelines for the crimes that I was wrongfully committed uh, for was 18 months. They gave me 40. So show me where I got a break. I got no break. I still maintain my innocence. And I'd like to go to appeal if it's at all realistic. 
Let me ask you, Roger, as we wrap up here, uh, Mitt Romney, I've got to get your reaction to this. You might have heard, obviously. Uh, he goes to Twitter and Mitt Romney says, unprecedented historic corruption. An American president commutes the sentence of a person convicted by a jury of lying to shield that very president. What's your message to Mitt Romney? Well, you should learn that Mitt should learn the facts of my case. I didn't shield anybody. That's I have no detrimental or negative information about the president. I know of no misconduct or illegal activity by the president. So I wasn't shielding anybody. And I didn't get a fair trial. You're saying convicted by a, a jury. Well, fine. The jury was cooked. The jury had it was not a jury of my peers. Sadly, I think Mitt Romney is so jealous of the success of Donald Trump and his presidency and the fact that Mitt tried twice uh, and didn't get there, um, that his bitterness just clouds his judgment. Uh, they, I know they don't like him back in Utah. I probably can't go there. Never lived there anyway. I uh, had a nice vacation place there. But uh, I really don't even consider him a Republican anymore. Uh, I think this is all personal animus for the president. And I wish he would study the facts in my case before he says things like that. The last question I have for you in terms of praying for your enemies. We talked about this. That's probably the hard, one of the hardest verses in the Bible. Roger. I tell you what, you got enemies out there uh, and the folks that, um, as you say, did you uh, did you dirty, if you will. Uh, they're they're your enemies. But uh, the Bible commands us to pray for them. Uh, good luck with that. I would take it. Uh, that's hard. It's, it's, hard. It, it's oh. very hard. But when I found that passage from Hebrews, it, it all made sense. They'll be dealt with. They will get their just desserts. A vengeful God will deal with them at the right time. I don't need to worry about it. it it's, it's not in my wheelhouse, so to speak. Uh, you know, it, it speaks of it speaks very specifically that those who have uh, who have uh, sinned, those have borne false witness, false witness against others, the Lord will deal with them. So it's not like they will go unpunished. That makes it easier to pray for them for the, for when that moment comes. So you can have bravado going forward, the Roger Stone bravado, but there's a humbleness that's accompanying some of this. Is what is my sense of what you're saying? Well, you know, look, I've already throttled it back quite a bit here. You asked me about Rip Romney. I didn't rip his throat out. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's the new Roger Stone. What can I say? Roger, a pleasure. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome back to the Pod's Honest Truth. Well, a real insightful conversation with Roger Stone uh, today on the podcast. Uh, There's a lot of takeaways from this, so let me just say... I think it's pretty clear that Roger Stone 2.0 is still going to be the Roger Stone that we've known for a long time as it relates to being a fighter. Uh, He's scrappy. He's going to be provocative. He's going to be loud. He said in the interview, that's the way uh, you get attention. Uh, At the same time, you get a sense that it's going to be dialed back by about 20, 30, 40 percent and all cloaked in a little bit more humbleness from Roger Stone. And we'll see. I mean, there'll be a lot of eyes on him in the future. But you do get a sense uh, that uh, his conversion, as people would call it, uh, his coming to Jesus, uh, it, is, it is real. Um, you know, I've talked to some folks that, that know him and uh, know Franklin Graham. And 
um, really see Roger walking with the Lord. So that's uh, that's encouraging for sure. And let's be clear, folks. Uh, I know he had a sentence commuted uh, by President Trump and he became a free man at that point, as Donald Trump exclaimed uh, in that statement on Friday night, the Friday night dump. But Roger Stone was a free man in January of 2020 when he decided to raise his hand, give his life to Jesus at that Franklin Graham rally. That's when he became a true free man, whether he's in jail or not. And that's something to think about for all of us, because look, if Roger Stone can get saved, hello, there's hope for all of us. And that's the Pod's Honest Truth. Until next time, America. 